0: Hello and welcome to Bright Lights, Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm Tammy Armstrong.
1: And I'm Mike Armstrong, and we're happy to be back for another week.
0: For those of you who are still with us after our first uh, two episodes, we salute you.
1: As you may recall, um, sort of every other episode we're hoping to do an interview with somebody from the community or you know involved in the city or the state or with government or with nonprofits that you know help make this place go.
0: So this will be our first non-interview episode and we're going to dive into just talking about problem solving or really problem definition. Whether you are looking at data science or urban planning or probably really any industry there's kind of an overarching problem solving process that you use whether or not you realize it and I think all successful projects and problem-solving processes um, really need to start with a tight problem definition or a strong problem definition. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you do this well and how have we done this? How do we think this works well?
1: One of the things that always comes to mind for me and one of the first things we talked about in school for planning is this idea of wicked problems. I don't know if you've heard that term.
0: Is that, like, from Boston?
1: Oh, yeah, that's where all planning started, so you just got wicked problems. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) You're so good at (laughs) accents.
1: Oh, lordy. So, yeah. Um, But wicked problems, I would think you would actually be more familiar with it from your econ undergrad, they are either so complex or interconnected to other problems or have so many contrasting and diverse opinions that it's not something that you can have a clear answer to. Mm. So, like, if you talk about the economy, there are so many variables that impact a single policy or decision Um, because it is so kind of widespread. It... Becomes this tangled mess. No matter how hard you try to define or um, sort through that problem, we recognize from the beginning we're going to do our best to define the problem, but it is never going to be perfect and it is never going to be clean.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I think for you know business or when when you're working with a single organization, so whether that's you know for profit or or when I was working in schools for fundraising. Um, you know, it's, it's enough within your control that you can minimize those different opinions. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of maybe coordinating across different departments or, or a limited set of stakeholders. But yeah, in government and urban planning, you're dealing with just a ton of different constituents um, with different backgrounds and different opinions. So that's really interesting. Um, also just a slight aside I feel like this happens and this is a great case for why I think this show is important too like um, we've been married for eight years and together a couple more years and there are still times where you'll be like you'll probably know this from your econ background um, from my undergrad and I immediately just feel like maybe I missed that chapter (laughs) (laughs) like no no it's just we still make assumptions about what the other one does but um, you know even knowing each other so well, like there's a lot of mystery in, in what each of us does and what what everybody does.
1: Well, it's one of those like I don't know what other people call it.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, I've never but, heard this term. Uh, but like
1: before. for econ, I'm sure you've talked about like for, <laughs> I guess you did more micro economics yeah, instead of it's, macro. It's, it's but kind it's of
0: theoretical. It's not so much about like at least in undergrad, it's not like here's how you get stuff done. It's it's very theoretical. Like here's how interest rates work. You yeah, know, you're not really thinking about problem-solving, per se, um, but...
1: So for this, I mean, one of the big projects we did recently was water trails. Um, we looked at sort of the entire entire central Iowa region, um, at all of the rivers and a lot of the major creeks in the area, how they work together as a network, and created a regional vision for what they could be. That is, kayaking and power boats and... Um, you know, fishing and, you know, environmental um, habitats and um, water intakes for utilities. Like, there are so many competing uses and desires and visions for that Um, is that we hope to create a very positive sort of amalgam of all these different things, but there's no way to make everybody happy Mm -hmm. on a project such as that. Like, there's never going to be a, this is the right solution.
0: Well, so that's really interesting. I mean, problem definition can be really broad and overarching, but it's still, in my mind, it's kind of what does success look like for this project? You know, how will you know that you've done it? Um, So, for like water trails, for example, how did you define your goal and like what did you want it to look like at the end? How would you know that you did it?
1: We had a steering committee for it. I mean, there was no way we could just do it as staff. Um, And we had kind of a purpose set out by Iowa Department of Natural Resources. They were the one that hired us to do this work. And so they had some sort of core values that they worked from of um, environmental protection and restoration, flooding, um, recreation, a few different things like that. But it's maybe 140 miles of waterways. It is 20 to 30 different jurisdictions from small towns like Boone to counties to Des Moines, like, it is a huge range. There's no such thing as a, I don't know, consensus vision mm-hmm. of what that could be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're defining that problem, you know, you almost have to have, like, our overarching problem or goal, and that is that um, here is this amazing resource that we have turned our backs on. Mm-hmm. Um And so how can we get greater economic output, environmental output, like more positive outcomes in all of these different sectors, but overall you almost have to have subsets of like, Mm -hmm. for us as the MPO, our goal, what success looks like is buy-in from all of these different jurisdictions, um, increase capacity in terms of um, dollars and volunteer hours and staff hours that people could do for you know, river cleanings or events and programming, um, and that social or political capital, you know, we are pushing on this specific project. You know, you still need to do fundraising. You still need to do implementation. Mm -hmm. And if we have pushed too hard on the early part, the elected officials who have been championing this, the um, nonprofits and members of the public who have been sort of cheerleading and pushing this forward all this time, They're starting to get fatigued, you know, if we expend all of our resources on getting the initial plan adopted and then have nothing left afterwards, it's just gonna sit in my bookcase at work and it's not gonna do a whole lot.
0: Yeah, but even so, you know, you can kind of have an overarching sort of vision and and your goals are almost a proxy for that. So if you're kind of saying, we want people to use the water trails more and have better environmental outcomes. You know, it's kind of guiding principles almost. And then you have these other things that are kind of proxies, you know, how, how many volunteers and, and, and all of that. Um, and you can use kind of, um, there's a framework called SMART goals that a lot of people are probably familiar with, which I believe is specific, measurable, uh, actionable, realistic, and time-bound So, you know, something that you can really quantify, right, like it's really hard to say have better economic outcomes or have, you know, better environmental outcomes, you know, those are really vague um, and it's hard to know if you did it and like, or if you did it well enough, you know, if you have a 0.00001% decrease in nitrates in the watershed, is that success or right. is that a statistical anomaly
1: I mean it's an interesting part of my work is just that how you define the problem can be very difficult you know we are we are always striving to be as evidence based as possible as outcome oriented as possible so like if we say we're going to increase safety on this street we're going to do traffic studies we're going to monitor crashes and injuries like there are specific things that we're going to look at but the things that we really want to see are are a little tougher to measure and because everything that we do is so long term we may not be able to accurately measure them for another 10 years that's true you know i was working on creating a model complete streets policy which is sort of a national movement of adopting a policy that lays out some greater specifics on the process of how cities and towns and counties approach street design, uh, street process, operations, maintenance, all of these things to make it um, safer and more comfortable for everybody, use, whether you're driving or walking, or, you know, if it's freight or what have you. So it's really easy to measure success in terms of, you know, we started with 3 complete streets policies adopted in our region and now we're up to 9. That's very <laughs> measurable Ready. but like that doesn't have any sort of measurable change in terms of what's happening on the streets, right?
0: Right. And so actually I was I was googling a little bit the the R and smart is actually relevant, not not realistic. Um so that's kind of to your point like yeah you can measure how many complete streets policies have been adopted and that you know maybe the best proxy that you can get and sometimes you have to take that but your real goal is that you have maybe um you know more people walking more people biking on the same streets as before and you you might have difficulty measuring that
1: yeah it's one of those like we can measure it If we invest the resources in measuring Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But at the same time, we can't measure it, you know, the day after it's completed. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we hear a lot is like, you know, there's a new sidewalk installed in this neighborhood. And it's like, I never see anybody out there. And it's like, it's been out there for two months. It takes a while for people to know about it and change their habits. But it also takes such a larger span of data collection to make it statistically significant mm-hmm. that we can know if it's had an impact or not. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have the project done and immediately see results. And for us, even more so than at the city level for the MPO, um, so much of our stuff is, here is our plan for the next 20 years, and we are measuring things kind of at that scale. So you know, we'll get back to you in five to 10 years. Right. with an update yeah. on how yeah. we've been doing.
0: And, and this is why I think this is an important topic too, is, you know, it can sound very glib to say that the most important part of problem solving is defining the problem because it just sounds so obvious, but I think it's, it's a step that people don't pay attention to and defining the problem and also your goals. Um, you have to define like, when are you going to measure? Mm hmm after the fact. You can keep an eye on it throughout to just see if anything, you know, really went crazy. Things are way out of what you would expect, you know, maybe that there's there's an opportunity to make changes or make fixes along the way. But if you're really trying to say, you know, close the books on something and, and measure what happened, you have to define upfront what the right time period is for that. So, you right. know, is it a year? Is it 2 years? It gets scary for a lot of reasons, if you make that decision after things go live, because it's always going to look like you chose the most opportune time frame.
1: Right. So I'm curious for you, in your work, who gets to define the problem?
0: That's a really good question. Um, It's not necessarily like there's a final authority on it. It's um, really a conversation that happens you know, I really like to work sort of as a consultant and say, okay, well, what what are your goals as a business unit and how can I help you be successful? And then we just sort of come to an agreement together.
1: So I guess what I'm curious about there is, are you going to business units and saying, here is something I noticed, or are they coming to you and being like, here is... An issue that we have, and then you together you define the problem. Like
0: it's both. It's really it's about a relationship, and this has been true all throughout my career, right? Like um, when I was working in fundraising, I would do this too. Um, You know, people would come to me with requests, and it could be something as simple as like I need a list of people to reach out to for this fundraising Mm -hmm. mailer, Um, or it could just be that you know, as an analyst working with a business unit or an organization, like it's my job to understand that business's goals and to kind of live and breathe them. And in addition to the information that they're asking me for, I'm just gonna do some analysis on my own out of natural curiosity. And this is kind of where the problem definition comes in is I'm starting with those KPIs, those those key performance indicators Mm -hmm. or the things that matter most to the organization. Is it, um, you know, in fundraising for a school, is it alumni participation? So I'm going to be monitoring throughout the year and saying, hey, looks like we're maybe behind where we typically are at this point in the year. These are the people who um, typically give and have it or some kind of analysis to figure out why we may be behind, um, you know, and, and not rely on my colleagues to notice that and then come to me when it's maybe too late. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a back and forth. It's two ways. Um, because I think too, like, especially when it comes to analyses, the people who are the subject matter experts in, in getting the work done are so involved and so busy that they either don't have the time or maybe don't even understand the opportunity to get that analysis. So it's, it's a constant relationship building of, Of saying here's what I have to offer you as an analyst so maybe you'll think to ask me these questions in the future but also this is just the value that I add and the value that I bring is I'm not a data vending machine. Um, I am working with you on behalf of the organization to help everyone meet their goals.
1: That just makes me very jealous for the idea of key performance indicators. (laughs) So you would hope this isn't the case for... A business or you know a school or an organization um, that can be a little bit more tightly defined but one of the biggest things that comes up for us for problem definition is that different people or organizations have directly contradictory definitions of the problem
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: so we can look at a street and You know, somebody can see it and be like, there's a safety issue here. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody else can look at that same street with the exact same metrics and be like, there is a congestion issue here. Right. And the solutions for those two things are directly at odds with each other. Right. Um, Or when we, you know, even just when we talk about congestion as a region, like how much traffic we have, it's something that like this is more of a personal opinion than Mm -hmm. an MPO one, but, you know, how people understand and define congestion is so different that it makes it difficult to define problems. Um, Yeah. So I see congestion as a measure of activity. And so we want a level of activity The places that do not have any congestion are places that are basically economically desolate Mm -hmm. or so overbuilt that they will eventually go bankrupt.
0: Right. And I think it could be that both of those metrics together are important um, in an ecosystem of other metrics. So, you know, I think it's pretty rare that anyone has just one number that they care about. Because you just kind of have to have checks and balances to make sure that you don't kind of game the system um, in a negative way. Back to the fundraising for a school example, you could have really, really great alumni participation because you got one dollar donations from everyone, and you know that was all you were asking for, and it was really easy. Theoretically, even that is still tricky in reality. Sure. But you know, say you were able to do that. You wouldn't meet your fundraising goal. You wouldn't be able to pay the bills in the next year, you know? And so those two goals together help offset each other and say, okay, well, we need alumni participation, but we also need to raise a million dollars, and we only have so many alumni that are gonna donate, so a dollar per person isn't gonna work. Um, and so when you set up the right set of goals, um, and kind of assumptions and constraints, um, hopefully you can offset those. So, you know, in your example, it's kind of like, well, congestion of zero doesn't necessarily make sense. You, you would almost set a goal of like a range of congestion. Um, that 0% congestion or, or however it's measured does not really the goal. It's, right. you, you actually want to optimize congestion but also have in conjunction there, like we want to set a goal around revenue growth for the businesses in this area or parking meter revenue right. or, you know something like that
1: yeah and that's one where so much of our difficulty comes from so i agree like for congestion specifically we do want to provide or target a optimized range right like we don't want don't gridlock, gridlock.
0: Lock. yeah <laughs>
1: everywhere but we don't want empty streets because we're paying a ton of money, repaving, um, snow plowing, and we're taking up, you know, public space that could be used for parks or could be, you know, used for businesses or, you know, a hundred other amenities and things that would add value. So we want to find that range, but the problem is that everybody has a different range. Me and you, we've moved around a bit, and we've had friends in different (laughs) cities, and it's so...
0: Entertaining. (laughs) It is entertaining,
1: but, like, people have such different expectations everywhere, which is very difficult. Um,
0: Yeah, people would be like, oh, traffic was so bad. I had to go one mile an hour below the speed limit.
1: (laughs) People talk about traffic in Des Moines, and it is... The range experienced here is so different from... Raleigh or from Chicago. But to add to that, different parts of the puzzle, you know, elected officials or the public or business owners or engineers or planners also all have different ranges mm-hmm. of what they want to do. So, you know, city council members, they're looking at their next election in a few years, whereas we're planning for 30 years out. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, of course, have very different ideas of what is an acceptable level of congestion.
0: Well, and I think that's when it comes back to what are you really trying to accomplish, right? Um, And congestion is really a proxy for something else, right? It's not that congestion is in and of itself bad, although I'm sure there's probably some people who might argue with that, but you don't need to raise a million dollars just to raise a million dollars. You need to raise a million dollars so that you can pay the electric bill for your school next year, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a higher purpose there, and I think it's important to keep that higher purpose in mind when you are setting the goals that you're not just picking numbers out of the air.
1: Right. And it's it's that scale that's so difficult, right? At the end of the day, what we're looking for is to make people's lives better, long term. Like that is the highest, broadest, vaguest <laughs> way that you can define it mm-hmm. for what we're trying to do. Um, but there are so there is nothing that we can do, policy project, you know, whatever it is, that doesn't have trade offs. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to defining problems, it is so crucial um, to say up front, what are our priorities? And we haven't done a good job of this, but um, I wish we could also set a hierarchy of those priorities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, travel time, you know, is important. I also drive places you know like I don't like sitting in traffic but I need to know when we work through this whole process and start to get to solutions is travel time more important than safety or more important than um, economic development opportunities Um, these are all good things but if we just list them equally Mm -hmm. we get to the end and we're like well the best we can do is create a futon it's not a good couch it's not a good bed (laughs) but it does a little bit for everyone and
0: is that a term you use frequently in planning
1: (laughs) uh so for transportation specifically people talk about a strode which is Mm. a very dumb word but it sounds um, like a dirty word right (laughs) but you know streets are places that's you know, a street is mm-hmm. it's a destination. Uh, right. You are meant to be there at a street. You are going to a business. You're going out to eat. You're walking with your kids. A street is very local. And then a road is a connection between mm-hmm. destinations. So, you know, traffic will move a bit faster. It'll be more, the emphasis will be on getting pla- people from one place to another rather than being there. Mm-hmm. And instead of this, We frequently build stroads, which are 35 miles per hour. They have a lot of destinations, but they also try to move a lot of traffic through there quickly. Mm -hmm. And that is where the predominance of our accidents, injuries, fatalities occur. Um, And it is because we haven't built a good thing. We tried to create a compromise between these two competing interests, um, but we couldn't take a strong stand one way or the other. Um, because we couldn't adequately define the problem. We had these five different priorities, but the priorities, you know, are in direct conflict at times. So we didn't set a hierarchy of what is most important to us in this specific case. So I feel like we've talked about a lot of different things kind of on a vague scale. So to give a specific example, you know, broad problem that was brought to you or that you had... And how did you really define it um, to something that could direct your project?
0: Yeah, um, so you know, if if you're trying to come up with like a data-driven solution to something, like you have to, by definition, have a well-defined problem, or otherwise you're just going to come out with summary statistics. So, like, that's the perspective that I really have on a problem-solving: is trying to get as clear upfront as possible on what that's going to mean and how you can actually achieve something um, and, and there can be an iterative process as you get into it and understand better like oh the assumptions that I had at the beginning don't really work and now we need to meet again and redefine the problem but like, going into it with that helps a lot one of the hardest examples I think I had of that was actually in graduate school, um, my practicum team was working with um, RTI International in Raleigh. They wanted us to kind of optimize hurricane evacuations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that, that was something we really struggled with for a long time. We had a couple months to work on this, and as a team, I think that was the thing that stressed us out the most, was just really figuring out how to even approach this assignment. Um, you know, especially when you're in school you can have these clear cut homework assignments. Like it was just optim you know, make hurricane evacuations better, make hurricane <laughs> responses better. Like that's so open ended. You could go a million ways with that. And we had to figure out, you know, what's what's is there a single number and what is it that matters the most in responding to hurricanes? And when you frame it that way, especially when we think about recent hurricanes and, you know, hurricane maria and and things like that um, loss of life you know it, it becomes really obvious but it actually took us a while to kind of ask that question you know we started looking at like probabilities that certain areas would flood you know we knew we were focused on north carolina but we were trying to look at like well can we predict based on previous hurricanes, what what routes they took? Are we bringing in weather data? We started with the data, you know, what all is available to us, previous um, flooding and, and geographical data and all of this. When really, when we stepped back and thought about it from a more theoretical perspective and kind of that guiding principle, it's like loss of life. That is what you want to minimize after that maybe loss of property and you know we worked really closely with our our mentors and our stakeholders they taught us a lot about thinking about risk you know Mm. that it's probability times severity so you can have something that would be the absolute worst case scenario but it's going to happen one in a million times versus something that's maybe middle of the road scenario but it's going to happen a lot more frequently that's the one that you need to combat because in terms of total risk that's higher Hmm. Um, that's what you prioritize so that helped us a lot in determining okay and and we we got to the end saying we need to make sure that the most people can either seek shelter or be evacuated in the shortest amount of time possible and that guided everything from there
1: yeah that's kind of the whole game there is that early on you felt like you were spinning your wheels and it is because you tried to immediately jump to process and Mm -hmm. um analytic tools at your disposal Mm -hmm. um without literally
0: were like whiteboarding like here's all the techniques we could use in the models before we even really had the problem defined
1: was it a Glass whiteboard that you can flip. Either way, <laughs> I'm sure that
0: actually it was. Um, I, I said whiteboard. It was. It was virtual reality gloves, and we were. Now it was a literal whiteboard.
1: <laughs> I just feel like you get one of those when you graduate from one of those programs.
0: You know, I do actually in my my cube. I have a, a glass marker board but there's something on the other side of it, so it's not transparent like what in the What is movies. the point, then? <laughs>
1: I just picture... Oh, my gosh. I, this is not a reference worth making, but there was a show, Numbers, on TV <laughs> so Numbers long is ago.
0: absolutely worth referencing.
1: But always just... You write on this this one glass whiteboard, and you're, like, getting there, and you're just like, I just can't solve it. And then you flip it, and you're just like, it all makes sense.
0: <laughs> when we look at it backwards and upside um, down.
1: But anyway, like... We have that problem, too, for planning. And I don't know for you if it's the same or not, but for us, at least at the MPO, and I can say at many cities and counties, our budgets are very, very tight. So mm-hmm. capacity is very, very tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're trying to crank out these projects at a minimal budget, you're trying to move as fast as possible, and it's yeah. so easy to jump ahead to step three, four, five.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: One thing that comes up for us a lot that we really try to bring into that problem identification definition and then the next steps after is that it's so easy to have implicit assumptions about things. hmm So that problem definition is very important to us to take a step back, figure out who's impacted and Mm -hmm. how we can best define, like, what are the highest ranking priorities or values that we're going into this before we start to get into the weeds.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think from my perspective, too. Um, really documenting your assumptions and being explicit about it and sharing it with your stakeholders. You know, I'm generally serving a customer, an internal customer of some kind, who's then, in turn, serving maybe an external customer. So it's it's very obvious to me that like I should take. And again, it comes down to time, right? Like, do Mm -hmm. I have time to follow this really great process? We don't always. But you know, turning to them and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. These are the assumptions that I'm making. Um, And sometimes those are valid. And sometimes they say, actually, you shouldn't even be including this population because they follow a completely different process. So the solutions for them won't match the solutions for the rest.
1: Right. I mean, when you first mentioned evacuation, Evacuation means getting out of the area. Mm -hmm. And so it's so easy to be like, all right, what matters most is like the percentage of people that we can get out of the area. But if you stop and take the time to really go through the problem definition, you can start to get into like, there are people who do not have access to a car Mm -hmm. or have medical needs. I think about that scene in... Is it the second of the newer Batman movies, like <laughs> Dark Knight mm. Rises? Mm, maybe. Oh, man. The one
0: with Bane? That was the third one.
1: Well, it's a good thing that we're, you know, not a pop culture podcast.
0: But, um, you Joker? know,
1: the Joker had planted these bombs. Third and so they talked started, about, yeah. like evacuating hospitals and those have such different needs than evacuating residences and businesses power and
0: ivs and yeah. and
1: so when you start to like take a step back and be like you know what our actual problem definition like what we're going for is to have the greatest impact on you know loss of life mm-hmm. and so then it becomes you know how do we get people to the facilities that they need instead of just out of this radius right still mission accomplished
0: right and that was really interesting so you know once we had it's it's almost magical like how getting the right problem statement just lights the way for the rest of it. You know, we decided to narrow our scope just for the study on uh, a single county, a coastal county in North Carolina, and, you know, we created a methodology that can be replicated anywhere, but um, that was our focus. So, you know, I looked up that county's disaster response. You know, what were they currently doing? I called up um, the people who ran the shelters and talked about, you know, how do your shelters work? How do people know which shelter to go to? How do you make sure that you have enough shelters currently? And we learned a lot from that. One of the things that surprised me was pets. Um, It's something I just hadn't really thought about, even though we have a pet, um, you know, that can really matter to people like i'm not going to abandon my animal and so the the county we were talking to they actually had some of their shelters designated as animal friendly shelters so you could bring your animal in and not let that be a barrier to being safe mm-hmm. um so yeah it gets very complicated in a hurry um and that makes that those guiding principles and goals all that much more important as well because you can get really lost in the weeds and start going down paths that aren't really helpful to your your end goal. So yeah, we we really learned a lot through that process. So yeah, um, two very different industries and and different approaches, um, different scales of problems, but but I, I hope that we've made clear here just how important it is to have that as the beginning you know it's it's not just a checkbox it's not how you get your work it's it's the work really it's it's a huge part of the work to define that problem well um and define it with your stakeholders that's it for our episode this time.
1: Yeah, thanks again for coming out and listening. Um, our plan right now is that our next episode is going to be with Jessica Avant, and she is going to walk us through some of the uh, intricacies of the Des Moines Parks and Recreation Board. Please uh, interact, look us up on Twitter at uh, BLBD Pod. You know, give us a rating, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions, feel free to reach out. But otherwise, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.
0: Yeah. Our next episode should air on July 2nd.